What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm your host, Sean Smith, joined as always by my co-host, Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. Derek, a lot happened yesterday, especially on the basketball recruiting front. Yeah, our commitment that I thought was out of nowhere. I think most people uh, thought it was out of nowhere. We'll get into that later. SEC protocols, more changes of the football uh, testing, some some additional changes that, that I think are going to be necessary as this goes on, and got some betting lines, and I'm looking forward to speaking with Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. That'll be should be a good interview with him later on in the episode. So we got plenty more for you today to wrap up yeah. the week. Yeah, looking forward to speaking with Ross here shortly about some of the things going on with college football. He's been all over it for the last four to six weeks. If you don't follow his Twitter feed. I recommend you do so because even if he's not reporting something, he's retweeting something. Uh, so that's probably the best way to stay on top of things right now. But we've got to lead off with uh, the news that Paolo Bancaro attending Duke, committed to Duke out of nowhere. It seems to be the only person that knew about this thing was Paolo and Tipton Edits because that's where the video and the edits came from. Derek, we're talking mid-August during a global pandemic, and it just – I don't know. I, I went on uh, another podcast yesterday and was talking about the recruitment, and I literally feel just like I felt the day that Zion Williamson committed to Duke because it's that that one was out of nowhere. Where Tennessee, or not Tennessee, sorry, where Clemson, South Carolina had some buzz with Kentucky, but you didn't expect it to be Duke with Zion. Just like yesterday, Tennessee had the buzz, especially after Kennedy Chandler's commitment. Uh, Jerry Meyer actually put in a crystal ball pick for Tennessee last week. But then you look at his crystal ball, and Washington had three picks, but they were over a year ago. So no one knew what was happening in this recruitment. They did a very good job keeping it close to the vest. They didn't reveal a single thing. I think that we can throw out the window just about at any point that there was a leader, really, because obviously no one had any idea. And here Coach K strikes again, and it's another one. Uh, that Kentucky fans are probably sitting here wondering what has happened to Kentucky's big men elite recruiting. It's really hard, I think, in today's social media world and just how much coverage there is to be surprised when you see something on your Twitter feed. But when that popped up on my feed yesterday, I, I was like, well, that's – I was like, is this, is this right? Like the same Palo Bencaro, that <laughs> the basketball player? Because it was just out of nowhere that – uh he would commit. He had no if, – if I understand this correctly, he had not set a commitment date. He hadn't even really expressed when he was going to announce it. As a matter of fact, he just mentioned it. One of our lead guys at 24-7, whenever Kennedy Chandler committed to Tennessee last week, he went ahead and put in a crystal ball to Tennessee for Ben Caro. So a lot of people thought 
you know, Kentucky was a leader. I, I, I guess they were a leader for at, at a time. At some time, we thought they were anyway during his recruitment. Had read that it seemed like maybe Kenny Payne leaving was going to be a hit to that recruitment. And then here we are a week after Kenny Payne leaves. Ben Caro really surprises everybody. Sure, people in Washington are stunned, I had to guess. And he's, he's heading to Duke. And, man, he's talking about a reversal of fortune. I mean, Duke's been signing top kids for a long time. I mean, there's no – there's no question about that, but they're looking again. They're the they're the crystal ball leader for the number one player in the country in Patrick Baldwin, and they're looking at signing three of the top six again. Whereas UK seems like you think they got a pretty good shot at Jaden Hardy, depending on what you read. Uh, now it seems like maybe there's some there's some slippage in that recruitment as well. So Cavs have to get it figured out here soon, but Duke uh, keeps cleaning up. And that's a recruitment with Ben Carroll that Kentucky wanted him 2020. They wanted him on this roster. Uh, it just it didn't work out. And I think that after that, you started seeing a little bit of an uneasy feeling with some things with will Kentucky. Is Kentucky in as good a position as they thought they were? And, Derek, this goes back. I mentioned this yesterday. It feels like K- Kentucky has – they've had good, good players. P.J. Washington was great. They've had good players in recent years. But as far as elite big men, Bam Adebayo was already signed when the Scalabissier project failed, like that season. And since then, you can make a case. Kentucky hasn't landed an elite ready-to-be-a-star big man. You know, Nick Richards was a five-star, yes, but it was a three-year deal before he blossomed into what he became. When you look at that, what – what does what happened there? Somebody somebody out there has to be the coaches, recruiters, whatever has to be using something negatively, and it's now that Kenny Payne's gone, who was known for developmental with big men. What is going on with Kentucky's elite big men recruiting? Because now the the most recent elite big men are coming via the transfer market. Yeah, well, obviously, like you just said, you mentioned that it's been years. <laughs> since they've signed a ready-to-go big man. So if you – yes, Payne's development was still there, and I'm not blaming him by any means for not signing elite big men, but, like, that part of it had already started to fall off anyway in the years before Payne left. So it's hard to say. Obviously, they ran into some bad luck. Anybody you talk to who covers UK recruiting tells you that Wiseman was a lock to UK until Penny Hardaway was hired at Memphis. That's that's just bad luck. I mean, I think I don't know. You hire the dude's AAU coach, high school coach, and he's already in that city. Well, got paid, I guess, to move to that city for college or for high school. And then that's tough to beat out. I mean, it's unfortunate. Uh, but besides that, I mean, it goes even to you're talking about elite big men via the the grad transfer route or just the transfer route. And yes, they ended up with Olivier Sar this year. But up until he decided to put his name in the portal, man, they missed out on uh, Harms as well. So, I mean, it's like, you know, they're missing out on some guys. It's a BYU of all teams, uh, former walkout Mark Pope out there. But it's it's really hard to, to wrap your mind around UK's string of big men, from DeMarcus Cousins to – I know he's – I guess he doesn't really get credit because he didn't play, but, I mean, it's not in his cancer in the 11th class, Terrence Jones. Then you have Anthony Davis, obviously the most recognizable – Probably the most recognizable player in the UK era, certainly at UK, him and John Wall, but winning the title and Davis winning every award he pretty much could have won. Then he signed Erlens and Noel. Absolutely a ready to go big man. And then 
Willie Colley Stein's in there in that in that class of Noel, and you go through, and okay, like Dakari Johnson might not have been an absolute stud, but compared to what UK maybe has been having at center here for a few years, he would have been a you know a great addition to some of these teams the past few years. And I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, but like you said with Scal, you're talking about the potential and some of the services. He was number one in the country. Was far from that. His he was not a instant impact type guy. Matter of fact, not too long ago I went back and read some of his stat lines in SEC play, and it was unbelievable the amount of games he didn't even play 10 minutes in the SEC. So he was a guy that was almost unplayable for a stretch. And like you said, I mean, PJ was very good. Reed Travis was a good player. Um, Richards eventually became a good player. EJ was was what he was. I mean, I don't think EJ really. He'll be a forgettable guy, just to be blunt, in the in the UK era. So yeah. they got to figure it out. I mean, I'm looking at this this 21 class. He thought Ben Carroll could have been a guy to come in, and if he was on this team, I mean, I don't know if they sort of gotten Sar. Probably so. I think there's plenty of room for guys. I mean, he you'd have three of the top players in the country with Clark, Boston, and him, and they just didn't quite work out. And I, I have no reason, to, I have no explanation as to why, but. It's still hard to knock Cal. That's the thing. It's like you, you can complain, and I guess you could say that he's maybe not signing the same kids he used to, but, like, he's still signing up worse than number two class in the country. You are, and, and until that changes, then we will just keep, you know, going, moving forward, thinking, okay, Kentucky's still going to have a top two class until that does change. Um, just looking at that class, though, Kentucky obviously put all their eggs in that basket, and now it's gone. Thankfully, I guess, if there's one positive for Kentucky, it happened early. It happened in August instead of happening in March or April at the end of it because that, that would have, I think, changed things significantly. So now they still have time to look at other options. They have they have time to look at possible reclassifications down the stretch here as we get into uh, the fall and moving into the spring. With no in-person recruiting, though, Derek, you know, I've seen people bring up that did that hurt Kentucky's chances. Well, obviously it didn't hurt Duke's chances. So they were still able to do what they did to get him. So I think when you look at this, Lance Ware, Isaiah Jackson, it now becomes important that they become sophomores at Kentucky and probably pretty solid contributors as sophomores. So it's vital that you don't have a Johnny Juzang situation now Mm -hmm. with a big man or a four or five man out of this class. Probably Isaiah Jackson's the guy. You need him for a couple years now. Yeah, I mean – it's hard to say. I know there's some different theories on it. Like, if you're asking me, and I was, I was thinking about it when you were saying that it's hard to complain, and you're right. It is hard to complain about it whenever at worst you're signing the number two class. But I think we've seen there is a difference in signing those top five elite kids. I mean, if you put any of R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, or Cam Reddish on U.K.'s 2019 team, I mean, they're the best team in the country, right? Yeah, that yeah. year they are and you just and then they all three go to duke and yeah duke didn't win the, they didn't make the final four so i get it if you want to criticize um criticize coach k for that and i think it's fair because cal gets hammered for it whenever he doesn't produce a final four every year but the, that's kind of the the margin they're at right now and this year's team i mean i look at it boston was a top five kid clark was a top 10 kid um I think seventh, something like that. So you've signed two really good kids, but you've just not really been able to keep – this is my opinion, and we'll see if they've been playing a ton of games this year. I don't know that I look at UK as really an instant title contender this year. I want to see them play, but 
But on paper, I mean, you lose that much. And, yeah, you got some good players coming in. But he's counting more and more on grad transfers every year, which is fine. I mean, I don't think that's a bad idea at all for UK. For, I mean, if he would have done that, if, maybe if he would have embraced that a little bit earlier, he could have had even more stacked teams in some of those years. But I think he's actually reached the point now. Early on in those grad transfer days, I mean, the only one he took was Julius Mays in 2013, and that was after a national title year where you lost basically every good player you had. And he was able to – but then – Look at what he did in the next class. He's able to restock. I think he signed eight kids in 2013, a couple of Kentucky boys, and then six five-stars. They're not really recruiting like that anymore, where you're signing five of the top – six of the top 18 kids or whatever it was. So he's had to find some ways to supplement that talent. And I, and I like that he goes the grad transfer route. It, it only makes sense when you're going to sign some of the young guys to have someone who's experienced to come in and play with them. But you can take it away, Sean. I don't really – it's yeah, just well, confusing that they're not really able to sign some of these. It is. It's one. bizarre. Like there's something out there that's being used against them in some aspect. Who knows? Is it the Scalabissier thing? Is it that Nick Richards took three years to develop well, into what he is? Well, if you're not on Scalabissier, okay, maybe he wasn't great at UK, but isn't the kid still in the NBA? He is. <laughs> well, that, and that's the other thing. Like even did he use Bam Adebayo the way he's playing now in the NBA? Well, it still worked out for Bam. He was a lottery pick. It's not like that. You know, Cal brings these guys in, and he's, he tells them, and I don't always necessarily agree with the way he runs his offense and things like that, but I'm not the one getting paid $9 million to make the decisions. But he puts these guys on the block, and he teaches them how to be a post player, in addition to some of the other skills that they do. And, he, you know, he, Cal's meta, motto has always been positionless basketball. And, I mean, you see Bam Adebayo right now in the NBA. He is thriving and probably on well on his way to being one of the most the elite big men in the NBA. Uh, but you look at this with Duke, though, and Kentucky and Duke, they've both they haven't been to the Final Four since 2015. So it's not like that it's really worked out for Duke when it comes to landing the Zion Williamsons and, and all these top five guys. So there hasn't been a difference there. It's not equal to Final Fours or national championships. So it, it'll be something to watch. But, you know, now we're on recruiting watch when it comes to the coaching staff with Bruiser Flint, who officially did tweet today. He doesn't tweet often, but he tweeted his farewell to Indiana fans. So it seems like, Derek, that the stuff that we've been talking about with Bruiser will probably happen. It could happen before our next episode. We'll have to wait and see. And the uh, Jay Lucas to Kentucky, it's it's moving in the right direction. It looks like that both of those guys will be on staff, and we will get into that on next week's episodes because today we still got to talk some football news too. We want to talk about what happened with the SEC the SEC updated their uh, protocols for their COVID-19 screening and their cardiac exams today, Derek. A groundbreaking move, it seems like, for us to possibly have college football. That cardiac exam, if a player tests positive, they will undergo that exam before they return to activity. That is a key in playing college football this fall to make sure that these players don't have an issue with their heart before they get back on the field. Yeah, I mean, those are some of them that really needed to happen. Uh, we talked about on yesterday's show that quarterback at Georgia State, who is not going to be able to play this year because of a cardiac issue resulting from COVID. Um, you know, with the SEC, I think you see your first kind of hit to a team, and it was Vanderbilt. Had some positive tests. They've had to shut down uh, camp. I don't know how long they plan to shut it down. I know they didn't practice yesterday and probably not going to practice today. So that's the first team, from what I can tell, post uh, – camp starting to have issues. I've not really seen any positive tests anywhere else. So that's going to be something to monitor. But I think you'll, you know, you'll continue to see the SEC 
expand. And as the new information comes out, they'll adjust. And, you know, they're going to have to think on their feet on a lot of things, and they've done that so far, and they'll continue to do so. They will. They'll, they'll have the blueprint for everybody else. Whatever the SEC does, I expect the ACC, the Big 12, to follow with. Uh, but we'll get into more of the SEC testing with Ross because I know that's something that we're going to ask him about because that came out just, what, an hour or so ago before we started recording. So I definitely want to get Ross's opinion on that. And then, Derek, one more thing before we get into the interview with Ross, and we meant to talk about this yesterday. So the lines, some betting lines are coming out for Kentucky's first game of the season at Auburn. We know there's going to be 17,000 roughly fans in the stands that day at Jordan-Hare. Shouldn't have a huge impact on the outcome of the game. And this line has dropped since you and I talked back in the spring. Seven and a half is the line in favor of Auburn. I think that was sports line that came out with that. What are your initial reactions to that line? A t- pretty much a touchdown. That that it makes more sense than the 17 and a half or whatever. That came out earlier in the – probably in the spring at that point. Looking at that line, I can't remember which website had that. It was it was one of the big ones, though, one of the big sports books in Vegas that had three or four UK games. UK was underdogs in each of those games, but seven and a half. I mean, that's that's kind of where I would expect it. Even though both of us picked the UK to beat Auburn, it doesn't surprise me that that's where a sports book would go with that. And to me, with all the questions that Auburn is going to have up front, uh, I mean. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, most years if UK was started the season at Auburn, I think they have at least been double-digit dogs. So I think it says something about how how these sports books are viewing Kentucky and some of the momentum that the Wildcats have. But what are you doing? You taking that uh, over, or are you taking the under on that? You got a UK outright, UK money line. I am. You know me. <laughs> like I, I would go UK money line for sure on that. I, that's that's the way I'm leaning because I think if we're picking Kentucky to win. I mean, I'm, but then again, too, you give you give Kentucky seven and a half in that game. I, yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of points because I feel like if the result of that game, I think will be within four points, one way or the other. I really think I don't even know if it won't be a touchdown. I think it will be four points or less. I could see it being a field goal. I just think that that's going to be early in the season. It's going to be an ugly game, probably where there's not going to be a whole lot of contact. Who knows how much contact these teams are going to have in uh, practice over the next few weeks. I mean, UK's only going three days a week right now, and they play in, what, a month pretty much. That's seven and a half. That's a uh, that's one of those games I would throw into a sweetheart college football deal, buy some points on that thing, get it up to about 17 and a half or whatever, put it in a parlay, and, you know, you, your odds, you're not going to win as much money, but you also feel much more comfortable at Kentucky can keep it within that kind of – Kind of range. I saw someone else, uh, the Dr. SEC Twitter account, asked if people had any, which I don't know that person. I've never talked to them, but they got quite the following, and they said that if you had any stimulus money left over to bet on UK. So, because they're winning that Auburn game. Auburn fans are not liking that, and uh, I don't blame them. You know, it's uh, we talked about this, that most of the league is still going to view UK as as a win. Even probably the Ole Miss to Mississippi State's are probably looking at that game as a as an early early one, early game that they're going to win. So let's go ahead and let's just get into that interview with Ross Dellinger because I know all the things that we've talked about, we're going to run by him and ask him and get his opinion on them. So we'll expand on some of these things at the end. So let's go ahead. Here's that interview with Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated.
Welcome back, everyone, to Kentucky Daily, as now we're joined by Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. Ross, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Ross, you've been all over this thing with college football for the last four to six weeks. Uh, I guess I'll ask you, do you feel like we've already had a season with maybe how mentally drained and exhausted this has been for the last few months? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy, just about uh, the busiest, certainly the busiest offseason uh, I've ever seen. Um, it's uh, It's just one thing after another every day. In fact, the last few days of this week have actually been somewhat quiet, uh, but have still been pretty busy. It's a, uh, it's a constant stream of news, whether it's um, a team shutting down or a team rescheduling a game or a game being canceled um, or more uh, guidelines from the NCAA stadium capacity. I mean, there's just so many things that uh, we're finally getting some answers to as we get closer and closer to the season, but obviously still a lot of questions. Ross, given the kind of pace of news a couple Sundays ago when it seemed like college football was was on the verge of being stopped, how surprised are you, I guess, today, a few weeks later, that the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 have decided to, at this point, go on with the season? Yeah, a little surprised. Uh, It was about, I guess, a week and a half or so ago that Sunday where we reported the stuff about, you know, the Big Ten was trying to – engage and, and convince other power fives to come along. And I think most people just expected there to be a pretty big domino effect, uh, but it stopped at, at four, you know, four of the 10. Uh, eventually we might, we might have more uh, join that group, but, but as of now, it, it seems like everybody's uh, full speed ahead. I, I think uh, lately the last few days, the, uptick in on on campus and community cases because of the return of students has been a concern thing is everybody expected it uh, administrators everybody kind of expected it but uh that doesn't mean it won't impact the season uh, you i just saw news that uh louisiana monroe had paused workouts because of a big outbreak they kick off the season in 15 days so that's uh those things are an issue and it's why even if we do play a season Completing one seems difficult just because of all the interruptions that you're going to have because of the outbreaks. And and we were going to ask you about the on-campus learning and students coming back to campus later in the show, but since you mentioned that, let's go ahead and get to that. So do you think that there can be a college football season played if schools still have on-campus classes, or do you think that it needs to move online? Because I've had three former U.K. players – in recent days tell me that they see no way that this thing makes it to the end or maybe doesn't even start unless they all go online soon. Yeah, it, it it's the surest way to, to have a season is is to not have students in on campus and in the college town um, because they're not just because of like the parties and things like that and in uh, the gatherings that we've seen um, on streets and college towns and stuff, but you know, just going to class, walking across the campus, any kind of mingling is going to spread the virus and potentially spread it to a team. So if you can eliminate the possibility uh, of, of students in class or students on campus or even students in the college town, you can insulate yourself a little more. Uh, the bubble term has been used, obviously, quite a bit. You you know, college sports can't really have a bubble 
per se like the NBA because you have to travel and uh, they're amateur athletes, uh, obviously. So, but you can get as close as you can to a bubble. And in order to do that, you've you've got to not you, you can't have students uh, on campus. It it's just uh, it bursts the bubble. So, uh, I think that's the way to go. Uh, there are some ethical and optical dilemmas, obviously, in that when you you say that hey, campus is not safe enough to have classes and have students on it. But we'll have athletes on it. And there's arguments on both sides. I mean, obviously, the athletes, there are not as many of them as the students. They're getting great medical care and uh, weekly surveillance testing and, and heart screening. But you're still going to have people, especially higher ed, push back a little bit on, on that, uh, on the whole deal of no students but student athletes on campus. I read your story, I believe it was from yesterday or the day before, on the ramifications of granting an extra year of eligibility. And that's something Sean and I talked about on our podcast yesterday, is kind of how that would look and whether it's a good idea or not. And I saw the reference you used in your story was some of the old-time Alabama teams with Bear Bryant when he would just stockpile rosters. And even if it doesn't get back quite to that point, I kind of took the stance that I'm not so sure that it is a good idea to just give a blanket waiver if – those three conferences already talked about do play games. I can understand it for the for the Big Ten and the Pac-12, but based on who you've talked to, some of the administrators or your sources in athletic departments, what what is their general feeling on if that ruling will will actually come down to be a good thing? Well, I think they're. Uh, I think overall the feeling is, hey, this is uh, this is a good thing. You know, the, the students or athletes need an extra year in a, in a COVID in a pandemic uh so it's a good thing but there are uh there are plenty that because of the ramifications and the negative ramifications they they don't believe it should have been a a sweeping um waiver because there are serious issues uh with this you're not going to have every school is not going to be able to afford the scholarships right now there's some schools that are i believe uh, planning to lose as many as you know 30, 40, 50 million dollars. I think Florida just announced it was going to be down 50 million dollars. So these schools are, this is just an additional financial burden uh, to pay the extra scholarships. You know, depending on how many seniors you had, 15, 20, 25, maybe even uh, on scholarship, all those guys, you know, uh, will be, can choose to come back. And you, while you have to have them a roster spot and reserve them a roster spot according to the NCAA rules, you don't have to necessarily supply that scholarship. You can't afford it, and a lot of teams can't. Like I just was, we're talking about, they're they're going to either tell uh, it's going to be kind of a domino effect. They're going to either tell the senior we can't afford your, to pay your scholarship, you're going to have to transfer basically, um, or that senior is going to use a scholarship that was intended for an underclassman or a freshman coming in. So that player is going to have to transfer or not sign or whatever. So it's going to be a domino effect. Uh, you're you're going to have you're going to have some issues. Now, there are going to be power pop teams like that have a lot of money, that have reserves, that are going to pay these scholarships, uh, especially those who, who love football in the, in the SEC. I would expect most, if not all, to, to uh, pay for those scholarships. But, you know, outside of, I don't know, 20 to 30 programs, maybe in FBS, I, I think the rest are probably not going to pay for those additional scholarships, which is – it's going to be going to, going to uh, spark uh, a lot of transfer movement. 
Ross, the SEC announced this morning that they, they clarified and expanded some of their protocols for COVID-19 testing and screening with the uh, cardiac exam and everything if players test positive. Do you think that that increases the chances that we do play the college football season or at least get to September 26th in the SEC, especially with the cardiac exam? Yeah, I think that, you know, all that was expected um, because of the stuff with um, myocarditis and and the issues with the heart. I think you'll see every conference come out with similar things, uh, the heart screenings. And you'll see, I think every conference end up coming out with three times a week testing where you'll test two PCR and then you'll have like a rapid test either the morning of the game or, or day before the game. So I think all of those things you will see every school, every conference, all the six that are left end up doing that. Uh, does it, does it mean that we're closer to kickoff? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess it's it's a positive sign. The the league is, you know, that, those these documents, these in season medical documents, they are, as it was described to me, le- kind of living, breathing documents. So they're going to be changing. They're going to be changing potentially through the season, in the middle of the season, depending on CDC guidelines and, and the virus caseload and all that stuff. So uh, I, I think we'll s- still see the document, you know, um, continuously change and and things like that. Uh, you know, it, it's it's good to see that the SEC's uh, stepping it up. You know, uh, getting stricter requirements. Uh, but I think you'll you'll end up seeing that'll be probably the universal standard. It's three times a week testing and the heart screening and all that costs money. So it's interesting to see some group of five schools if they will bail, like we've seen several already, because of the costs. Ross, thanks so much for taking some time to join me. Like like we said, you've been all over this. Uh, tremendous. Do a tremendous job keeping everybody up to date, and uh, best of luck, and let's hope that we can have a college football season. All right, guys, thanks. Thank you. He's Ross Dellinger, and you're listening to Kentucky Daily. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back, everyone, to Kentucky Daily as we now begin to wrap things up on another episode in another week, Derek. So this is our final episode of the week. Uh, Two weeks in, let's go ahead and jump into your opinion on some of the things that Ross said. What did you take away from that 10-minute interview with Ross? Well, you know, first of all, Ross is, like we said, has been all over this thing. He was... He was someone in the SEC when he was covering LSU who was always regarded as one of the top beat writers for a school. So obviously very plugged in on the SEC, but he's done a good job too, uh, reporting on other conferences. But, you know, I think he looked at it realistically. You know, he talked about one of the questions I asked him was about the um, roster more or less expansions, which is what's probably going to be for the schools that do choose to um, support and pay the scholarships for the kids who decide to return for another year of eligibility. You know, he thought that, 25 to 30 schools would do that. I'm guessing maybe every single SEC school will agree to that, but you're going to see a lot of schools that won't. And I think you're going to see a gap created there even further with the power five schools and the group of five schools that choose to do this. But a lot of challenges that are, that are going to be coming up for administrators and, you know, the NCAA, once they, I think that they're supposed to have done that today. They've not done it at the point when we're recording today. Um, I'm sure that'll get passed later, but Either way, it's it's a tough thing that schools are going to deal with. 
in the future. But he's going to give people the option, though. If you play this year, you don't play this year, you're going to have a free year of eligibility, basically, if you are one of those teams in those three conferences that do, uh, at this point, are planning to play. And and that's coming today, I'm assuming, right, the final vote on that. So probably if you listen to this episode later in the day or sometime this weekend, that information will be old news as far as it will become official. It's going to be interesting to watch and see how that plays out, Derek. Uh, I thought, too, that it was interesting. He He's on the same pattern and path as some of these players that I've talked to and others that we've talked to that if there's going to be a college football season, there's no way you can have campus full of students and people running around sort of just bursting that bubble that they're trying to keep intact as best as they can. So, I mean, you like we've mentioned on here in prior episodes, some of these guys, they live with friends. They don't live with just the football players. It's not like the basketball dorm at the Wildcat Coal Lodge over there. It's not, you know, 14, 15 rooms, one player per room. This is literally people living in apartments and everywhere else, which is friends. When those friends go out, they're being exposed, and then they bring it back in, and then this one individual is taking it into the football team. Uh, two, before we wrap up, we talked a little bit about, you know, the SEC's expanded testing and things. How important is it to you that they're, that, that third test will be administered as close as possible to game days? I think that's what it has to be. I mean, if you test a kid Monday and it comes back negative, I mean, if he contracts it any day after that and then – if they're not showing symptoms or whatever, you go into a game Saturday. I mean, you could not only have affected your own team at that point, but then you affect the other team too. And then you got two teams that are going to have to potentially deal with outbreaks. So catching that, I mean, I guess ideally you'd want to know, what, Saturday morning or whatever? I don't know if it's going to work out that clean. But that's how I think you'd ideally would have it play out. And, you know, you saw with baseball, with they have some trouble getting tests back right away. I mean, you look at what the Reds, Nick Senzel last week, not finding out until – the last pitch of the game, at least it's the red story, that they found out the, you know, right at the very end. They had to pull him from the line, and thankfully no one else got it. Uh, he didn't show symptoms either. But I was to tell you, though, in a college football setting, if you had something similar to that and you had a kid play a whole game where you're up on people breathing and things like that, that could be something that causes a disruption in the season. And we won't really know until we see it play out, but that's the ideal that the SEC is going for, and it's the correct thing to do. It is. I agree with you 100%. And we will have more updates next week on Monday's episode. We know, we all know something's going to happen today, Monday or Sunday. That's just the way that this thing's happening. <laughs> and we'll have that on Monday's episode. And then whatever news breaks next week with basketball, if something happens over the weekend, we will cover that as well. Derek, this was our first five for five in a week. I mean, we went five for five this week. The first week we did one on Friday, and then we went four for five last week. So this is our first official week. Uh, really, really pleased and proud that we're able to do a daily podcast during all this right now. So uh, anything you want to say to the listeners? Just keep leaving ratings and comments. I'm not – I check my email every day. I've not heard from anybody yet. So either that means people are happy or they just don't care enough or to – they're not mad enough maybe to say anything <laughs> either. So – you know, I think just from talking to you, the download numbers are they continue to go up, and that's good. I hope that people, uh, if you like this podcast, tell your friends about it, tell your family. Uh, I don't think there's anyone else out there doing podcasts every single day like we are. So no, you not. get some people who I respect uh, who have podcasts who do a good job, but, you know, they're going to focus on some things, whereas we're talking about something every single day. We're literally giving you coverage as it happens. Yeah. And that's what we aim to do with the show 
for as long as we do this show. Who knows? Maybe this thing, we might get into the thousands of episodes, Derek. I mean, we're already episode 10, uh, but we're going to give you daily Kentucky coverage, basketball, football, and, you know, might even touch on some baseball and some things like that as it happens. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to rate us, leave a review. I'm going to tweet something out this weekend. If you're interested in advertising, reach out to us. We want you on board. We'll promote your business and uh, just, you know, come be a part of our team. We're doing some exciting things here with Kentucky Daily moving forward. Can't wait for another week, Derek. Yep, it's been fun. Hopefully everybody tunes back in next week and we do it all over again. Absolutely. So this has been Episode 10 of Kentucky Daily. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.